the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Man, it feels free in here. It just smells free. <laughs> it's really wonderful to be here with you guys. It's just so, so awesome to gather. Um, I wanted to just share a, a, a short message today, um, one that is uh, it's really important to me. Um, and it started many years ago, just this transition in my life where God brought a whole new level of, of freedom for me. And it was when Ashley and I, we were, we were newlyweds, and we were trying to be missionaries um, which in most uh, churches is a code for we were really broke. Um, and we were trying to raise funds. And it's, I mean, it's amazing to be a, a missionary. It's just a joke. Be a missionary. If you're called to be a missionary, please, we need missionaries. But we happened to be in a, in a time when we really needed financial provision. And um, I don't know if, if you guys have ever experienced this. Uh, sometimes like when you're in sales, like for me, um, I sold life insurance like 17 years ago. And it was when I was selling life insurance that I realized why I didn't like most evangelistic approaches. It's because people can't tell if you wanna be their friend or if you're trying to turn them into a client, right? Like, do I, just, do I just enjoy being around you or do I have an ulterior motive to get money from you? And then when you're, when you're a missionary and trying to raise funds, there's that, that you, you get confronted with that internal reality where um, you're, you're realizing the difference between um, just enjoying being around someone and trying, and the difference between that and trying to earn something from them. And in this season, when Ashley and I, we, we were trying to raise money to be missionaries, I became acquainted with this really wealthy guy, and he was a super awesome kingdom-minded dude, and, and I just enjoyed being friends with him, and I wasn't looking to get anything from him. I really just, I was a horrible missionary anyway. I hated asking for money, and so I was just always believing that God was gonna do miracles on our behalf, and, and so I wasn't asking this guy for money, and and I was getting to know him and really enjoyed our friendship. And then one day he gave us $5,000. And I liked him before, but now I thought like, this guy is amazing. And uh, I was so grateful and it really impacted our lives where we were at, um, at that time, Ashley and I. And, um, but then I noticed when I got around him, I was awkward. And I was, I was almost trying to present this idea of me where I was this super holy missionary and he made a good investment in me, you know? And um, I wanted him to think that he hadn't made a mistake in giving me that gift and that I was worth it. And... I then had trouble just being his friend. I had trouble hanging out with him without that awkwardness, that thing hanging over us, that, that gift that because of my internal problem had become 
something that had divided us and kept us from continuing just to enjoy fellowship with one another. And I was actually like beating myself up. I'm like, what? what is going on? Why can't I just be normal around this guy? I'm so awkward now. I can't think of things to talk about. And, um, and I, months went by and we kind of lost contact. And I honestly thought I just screwed up our friendship. I'm, you know, our friendship is over and I was kind of lamenting it. And I was also bummed because we still needed financial support, honestly. And I was thinking, man, I doubt he'll ever you know, entrust us with money again after I manifested such a poverty orphan spirit on him. And then I, I was in the prayer room, in, in a prayer room, thinking about this and praying and just talking to God about it. And, and I was wondering if my friend was lamenting also the, you know, the loss of our friendship because of the gift that he had given me and I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me. And you can take this or leave this. This is what I feel like God said to me. <clears throat> I felt like the Lord said, I'm also sad when the gift that I gave keeps people from being my friends. You were worth it before you did anything good. You were my child before you acted like it. And right then, no joke, I get a notification on my phone. And my friend, who I hadn't talked to in months, gave us another $5,000. And the date, I remember specifically, it was May 5th. And I remember the date, and I'll never forget it, because May 5th is 5-5. Five, five. It's the second time God gave us $5,000 out of the blue for nothing that we did whatsoever. The number five also represents the number grace. And 5-5 five, five is Cinco de Mayo, right? Which is when Mexico celebrates uh, victory over the oppressive empire of the French, Right? Yes, I looked it up. I thought it was Independence Day, but it's not. <laughs> so when I was wondering if um, I had screwed up the, the friendship because I could no longer just act normal around this guy is the moment when the Lord moved on his heart once again to give us another gift can you guys open up to Ephesians chapter two? We're gonna read from Ephesians two verses four through nine. But because of his great love for us, why? Because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by, what's that word? And you see the scripture, two, five, five being the number of grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in him. Who raised us up? God raised us up. 
Did anyone in here seat yourself in heavenly places? <laughs> no, you didn't. He seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen? So this is not by works. No one can boast, right? Okay, flip over. You know, um, a really good way to remember these Pauline epistles is the, is the uh, uh, mnemonic device, giants eat peas and carrots, Galatians, Ephesians, you know, uh, Philippians, Colossians. So flip back one verse to, or one bi uh, Bible book to Galatians. Engaging on board thesaurus now. All right. <laughs> Galatians 2.20. We're gonna read this in the King James Version. We don't usually bust out King Jimmy around here, okay? But we're, we're doing it on purpose. So King James, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did that verse seem a little bit different than the way you might have it memorized or the way that you learned it? Does it seem a little bit different? What's, what's like the operative word that is different? Of, right? Instead of we live this life uh, like by our faith or in the faith. It says that we live in this, that we <laughs> live by the faith of the Son of God, not our faith in the Son of God. Yes, amen. Thank you, Israel. Somewhere along the way, translators changed it to, from the faith of the Son of God to the faith, faith in the Son of God. And this is actually a little bit scandalous. I've done some research in this, and it seems like somewhere along the way, Christianity in general, we, uh, we wanted to put the emphasis on the faithfulness that we demonstrate for God instead of Jesus's faithfulness for us. This Greek word, I looked it up, it always means of, or even from, the faithfulness proceeding from Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, it never means in. That's why it's a little bit weird. Shouldn't that like stand out to us? Shouldn't that make us ask what's going on? This word of appears thousands of times in the Bible, but it's only translated in purposefully twice. The other one is Romans 3.21 through 24, which reads, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith 
of Jesus Christ unto all, upon all them that believe, for there is no, no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is also the King James Version. Every other, almost every other English version changes it to the righteous, our righteousness or our faith in instead of the faith of Jesus. And I wanna say something, and I hope you hear this, that the gospel doesn't demand our faith, the gospel supplies it. And I think that this is a really, this is a really important subject because we can't earn a gift. If you're earning something, it is a wage. There is a huge difference between a wage and a gift, right? I was given a gift and then afterwards, because I didn't think that I was worthy, I tried to prove that I was worthy. I tried to prove that he didn't make a mistake in choosing me. And many Christians today, we are relegated out of a place of friendship with God because we're trying to prove to him that we were a worthy investment instead of he just loved us as children. If my kids ever feel, and I bring up my, my kids and my family a lot because if, if our theology doesn't translate to theology, then it is trash. If our theology doesn't translate to family, then it, it is trash. Um, the, every, everything good in the kingdom, it flows through family. Every, like he is our good father in heaven. He is the father of all, which means that our theology has to work in the context of family. And if my kids ever felt like they had to prove that they were worthy to be my children, then I've failed as a dad. And what I, if, if my kids feel like they have to prove that they're worthy to be part of my family, then what I did somewhere along the way is I manifested my own deception on them. Ashley and I, we were watching The Office last night. Any Office fans in here? Michael Scott manifests this attitude a lot. <laughs> but uh, the particular episode that we were watching last night is in season two, and it shows Michael Scott uh, as, a, as a child on a, on a local TV show, and this puppet asks him, like, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And Michael says, I wanna be a dad with 80 kids, and I want them to all be my friends. <clears throat> and I felt like the Holy Spirit just grabbed hold of my heart and he said, from before time, me, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, we wanted to manifest children all over the place and bring them into our family. We wanted you all to be our friends. Now there's a big difference between Michael Scott and Yahweh, right? <clears throat> so Michael... <laughs> He had a hole in his heart that he was trying to fill 
through children, fill through friendship. The difference between Michael and our God in heaven is God was always and is always completely fulfilled in the love and fellowship, the divine dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That love connection, that unending fire, the furnace of creation itself wanted to include us in the party of love, wanted the, the celebration of love to expand. And it was at that moment, sometime, you know, thousands of years in the past when God said within himself, let us make man in our own image. And we got to be created to commune with God. He didn't create us because he needed us to fulfill something in him. He didn't create us because he needed us to be his servants or be his obedience robots. He wanted children, he wanted friends. This is the revelation that will help us actually live in freedom. A good way to tell if uh, we live in freedom is if we can freely give to others and freely forgive others. Because if we have a problem freely giving, it really just means that we haven't found out how to freely receive. That famous verse in Romans, the difference between wages and gifts, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So at one point we were working. We were enslaved, right? We were in bondage and we were eventually going to get paid death. That was going to be our final paycheck, right? The wages of sin is death. And then what happened is God he literally showed up on the scene in the incarnation of Christ. And he stepped into our working conditions. He was made like us in every way. He was tempted in every single way. He faced, he was a man acquainted with sorrows. He carried our infirmities. He stepped into the very slavery and oppression that we were experiencing because he wanted to buy out all of our contracts and ransom us back as children. This theme of ransom shows up three times in the New Testament. One of them is in Mark 10, 45, where Jesus says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, what's the word? Ransom for many. Again, it shows up in 1 Timothy three, uh, 2, 3 through 5. Uh, it says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, a mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And then there's one more time in Revelation 5. It's when the, they're singing the song to, to Jesus, the only one worthy, and they're singing in uh, chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God or ransomed for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. This to me begs the next question, do ransoms go to good guys or bad guys? That verse specifically says that he purchased people from everywhere for God, he didn't purchase us from God, right? This is an important thing to nail down in our understanding that Jesus 
He came to set us free from sin, death, and Satan. He came to ransom us out of the oppression and bring us into eternal life. He freed us from sin and death and transferred us into the kingdom of love. So if he freed us from death, if we were going to get paid death, then at that time, who held the power of death? There's a common misconception that it was God, but we know that that can't be true. Death wasn't God's original plan. That was the plan of the usurper, right? And people will say like, all people will die in God's timing. That doesn't make sense because Jesus is God and he resurrected people, right? Right? <clears throat> so who held the power of death? Jesus fixed the problem, right? And so who did he take the power from? This is Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, here it is, him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, through the fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. The scariest thing that the enemy had to control us the, the, the thread that he could pull that would make us dance was our fear of death. Jesus came and set us free from that fear through the power of resurrection, through the promise of eternal life, through the promise of our own re resurrection. And this is a free gift. Last week, we talked about uh, Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In Isaiah 55, where it says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come, come to the waters and drink, you who have no money. This is a gift, right? You can't earn a gift. You can't bring anything to the table to get this. Revelation 22 says, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. If we think that we have to bring something to the table to get this gift from God or to be worthy of this gift from God, then we will always subconsciously expect that of others to earn our love. We won't be walking in sonship. And when Jesus comes to wash our feet, we will always respond like Peter and say, no, you, no way, you can't, you can't touch me. I'm not worthy of you washing me. But beloved, we have to understand that he loved first. There is no way that we can conjure up within ourselves the love to follow him all our days unless we are dunked in the revelation of his unending love for us. There is no way that we will pursue him unless we first understand that he pursued us. There is no way that we will have passion for him if we don't first understand that he had 
passion for us. This is all laid out in 1 John 4, 10 through 11. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if you skip down to verse 19, it says, we love because he loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen can't love God whom they've not seen. Everyone in here, you wanna serve God the rest of your life, right? You wanna do amazing things for him, right? It won't happen unless we get this revelation first. There is absolutely no way that we can live out all of our days trying to do great things for God if we haven't realized that he set us free from dead works so that we could rest in his presence forever. If we haven't realized that he of himself purchased us out of slavery and brought us into sonship. There's absolutely no way that we will live out our lives serving him unless we first let him serve us. There is no way we will ever have the opportunity to minister and wash the feet of Christ unless we realize that he has first washed ours and we have let him wash our feet. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And I started off today talking about how it's so difficult to, to be friends with people if you're trying to sell them life insurance or, you're, or if you're trying to get uh, you know, missionary funds from someone. People always have that question in the back of their mind. And the reason is you can't be friends with someone that you're trying to get something from. That, that is the surefire way to actually end a friendship or to alienate ourselves from the person that we wanna be close to. Ryan and I are friends, David and I are friends, Alexis and I, I've got tons of friends in this room. And if, if I were to say to Alexis, hey man, come over, I wanna hang out. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm free, I'm heading. And I, and I say, but hey, first on your way, can you stop in and out and bring me a burger and some fries? Get your, I mean, get yourself a burger and fries, but I mean, I'm hungry and we don't, we don't have, so on your way, would you? And he's like, yeah, because he's my friend. He's like, of course, man, I'll stop and get us some burgers. And a week goes by and I call him up. I'm like, hey man, will you come hang out? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm free. And I was like, hey, but on your way, will you stop for like a pizza? He's gonna start wondering if he's my friend or if he's my food delivery system. Like what, am I, what angle am I working today? We are going to be friends with Jesus when we enjoy one another not because we're trying to gain something. The truth is, the reality is, that we have won the lottery and it's time to stop working for a wage. Hey, can we pray together? This is the kind of thing that only the Holy Spirit can work out in our hearts. Let's stand together and ask the Lord to deliver us from all performance spirit, from all orphan thinking, and transfer us into a place where we are resting as sons and daughters in his presence. So Lord, you know the cry of our hearts is to have unbroken fellowship with you.
not just in some sort of mental ascent, but in the reality that we are fully at rest as sons and daughters in your house. We thank you, God, that you set us free from slavery, you set us free from earning wages, and you gave us a gift. And right now, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for all of our dead works in trying to prove to you that we are worthy children. You loved us regardless of what we could bring to the table, regardless of what we could do for you. You just wanted us. I pray, God, that you would set us free from all those dead works that we would continue to shake it off, Lord Jesus, and that you would help us to live completely free in your presence. I just got a vision of us like as kids running into the kitchen of God and opening up the cookie jar, running into the kitchen of God and opening up the fridge and grabbing a snack, running into the kitchen of God and opening up the cabinet and grabbing some fruit snacks. My kids love fruit snacks. They sneak them all the time. They don't have to ask for permission. They know I bought them the fruit snacks. The Lord, we pray, God, that you would set us free from trying to earn the good things of your house. In Jesus' name, amen.